0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And we hope the Fresh Text will be enjoyable and edifying for all listeners, but especially those who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks, whether uh, pastors or teachers or anyone who has others in their care. Uh, We hope this will be enjoyable for you, but also helpful uh, for others for whom you serve as a shepherd and leader and teacher. My guest this week is Sarah Henlicke Wilson. Sarah has been on the show a handful of times before. Once this year on a psalm, we did Psalm 37 way back in the spring. And this week we're looking at Psalm 34. So just a couple chapters over uh, Psalm 34. You'll hear all about why in the episode to come. If you're not a subscriber to, uh, Sarah's newsletter, you definitely want to be. It's called Theology and a Recipe. Her newsletter always does some theological discussion connected with a fresh recipe. She's a fantastic cook. And, and so that's a lovely combination of real life and God talk. So definitely check it out. Just go to sarahhinlickywilson.com and you'll, uh, see how you can subscribe there. As you're listening to the show today, if you find yourself enjoying it, just uh, press the share button on your podcast player app of choice so you can pass this along to others so that they may enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash freshtext and find ways to support the show there and become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Sarah. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's read it. You want to read it in whatever translation you like, and we'll jump off from there.
1: I will read from the ESV. That is my usual one. So, Superscription of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth.
0: Amen to that. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, both the words that you speak to us in your covenant and in your prophets, in the gospel, but also the way that you give words to us to return to you, words of wisdom, words of praise, words of petition. And so we're grateful for your word as it comes to expression in the Psalms and in this particular psalm. And so we ask now that Sarah and I would be granted the gift of illumination by your spirit, that we would exposit this word in a lively and imaginative and from the heart kind of way that will be a benefit to those who are listening in. We pray the same for all those listening, that they too will be guided by your spirit and not merely by words and thoughts of ours or of their own. So we ask that your spirit would be at work among us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, if I can start by putting you on the spot, we're getting near the end of the year and we've been, I'd say slogging through the Psalms, but it actually got more interesting as it went along. I think it's just (laughs) a different style of study and some time to get used to. And now I'm kind of loving it. But anyway, we are late enough in the year that I've been giving my guests a little more carte blanche to pick a psalm as long as we haven't done it yet. So, and uh, you asked for Psalm 34. So if I can reveal that and put you on the spot to say why. Like what what about 34 got you excited to share today?
1: Yeah, well, there is the wonderful famous verse number eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that verse has come to mean something different to me because at the time of our recording, about two months ago, I caught COVID. My whole family got COVID. It was fairly nasty, though none of us had to be hospitalized. And the day after, I had about five pretty bad days. And the day after, like the worst of it was over, the day I started to feel better, I was congratulating myself on getting through the thing. And I was eating a piece of very nice chocolate. And I tasted one bite of the chocolate. And the second bite, I did not taste. And I went, what just happened there? And then as the day went on, it became clear to me that as many sufferers of COVID do, I had lost my sense of taste and my sense of smell, both gone completely, like way worse than any form of congestion. And so for five days, I could not smell anything at all either. Then my smell started to come back. I assumed that my taste would start to come back and it's two months later and it hasn't much, like a little bit. I can like taste the five basic ones you learn in kindergarten. Like I can tell that something is sour or bitter or salty or sweet, but I can't really distinguish among them. Like fruit and cookies are just sweet and, you know, vinegar and lemon and lime are all just sour. And people may know who follow my work that I love to cook. I mean, it's hard for anyone to lose their sense of taste, but like, this is such a major part of my life. And now I can't even taste things. (laughs) So I say there's no worse theodicy crisis for a cook than to lose your sense of taste. So then I started thinking about this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I was like, darn it, Lord, how can I taste? That you are good if i can't taste anything at all and it ended up writing a reflection on it for my newsletter theology <laughs> recipe just to try to cope with the crisis but anyway so this this has been very much on my mind and just thinking about this unusual expression of tasting the lord so when you when you reached out to me i was and you had a, a good lectionary psalm in place but i said well i've just been thinking about this one and uh if listeners remember i'm the person who never really liked psalms much but you know like we last i think did a psalm 137 together and i was like like, okay, now I'm up to two that I really like. So now I'm up to three. So thanks for <laughs> giving me a chance to share that.
0: No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It was, it was 37. Oh, right, Monster 37. Psalm. Yeah, yeah. So you're up to three. Was there, what's the other one? 29. Or was that a secret? Actually, 29. Oh
1: yeah. Preach my first sermon in a church ever on Psalm 29.
0: Uh, oh, I love 29 for 11 years I taught intro theology at Wesley Seminary and my opening prayer was based on 29. No kidding. Yeah, I read 29 and then had a like a long opening prayer that was just kind of built all around. Although that's like a that's a very uh that's a very preachy psalm. So
1: <laughs> it's a little
0: out of character, you know what I mean? It's a little more.
1: That's probably why know. I liked it, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I it better.
0: <laughs> the voice of the Lord is this and that. Yeah, it's yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, oh, that's just awful. I mean, I had COVID so bad the first winter.
1: Oh, you did? Of the
0: pandemic, okay. But I didn't have the bad, I didn't, I didn't lose my taste and smell the way my, my wife did. And it came back much quicker though for her. And oh man, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you heard her mention it. I, I listeners who are maybe new to Sarah, just to like highlight, like how much she loves to cook, how much I got to enjoy that when we lived together in New Jersey years ago. And oh yeah, heavens. And she, her newsletter is called Theology in a Recipe. So, I mean, her mixing food and God talk is kind of her specialty.
1: Like, it seems like a prophetic sign, right? You know, like this is exactly the sort of thing that would happen to me. You know, it's like, there's some sort of like deep, but divine irony about the whole thing.
0: Yeah. And you'd think that like, Well, hasn't this like always been like your theme, but like, no, it's not that something like this stands out more actually when it, when it's taken away this.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that actually puts it in context a little bit. I mean, we don't have to camp out on the, the inscription, but I feel like today it might be worth pointing out just something I noticed studying it that the same verb is used. Let's check it. I want to make sure it's they're right but yeah the the verb of tasting has the same root as the reference to David and him altering his good sense before Abimelech
1: oh i did not catch that
0: yeah well it i yeah i just there was a footnote in robert alter's translation that said that and i went and checked it and it was yeah it was fascinating i just huh. wouldn't have even noticed that i just appreciated the pointing that out
1: well, that's great because I was like, "What? Where did this sub superscription come from?" Like, I know that there is a certain kind of element of randomness in the, or I'm assuming there is, and like mm-hmm. they like to correlate the stories of David with Psalms of David, but this one seemed like a real stretch. But if that's it, so the the little bit of Hebrew work I did on this was to actually track the normal usage of the verb taste. It's ta'am, and like uh-huh. everywhere else. In the Old Testament, it just has its straightforward literal meaning in the in this sense, just tasting food. There's nothing. There's like one in Proverbs that is like a, a bit more metaphorical, but it's almost never translated taste into English because it's far enough off. So this is really an outlier in the use of the verb, which suggests to me it's like, it's fixed by the literal meaning. And so something really drawing on that extensive literal usage is meant to be the, the you know, the root of the metaphor here. But it's funny that it's connected also to the superscription.
0: Yeah, and in a quick word study, you wouldn't catch it because it's a noun uh, in, the, in the subscription, right? Okay. Just with a shared root. So it's an in its noun form. So yeah, it's not something I would have caught on my own if, if Alter wouldn't have pointed that out. Yeah, I mean, there's a few faint connections in the sense of there's a a kind of gratitude expressed to God for saving the psalmist from their enemies. And that does fit in the Abimelech story, but it's not, it's not as tight as like say Psalm 51 or something like that, where it's like this penitential Psalm located in the Bathsheba story. Okay. So you can see the the connection here. It's a little fainter and it's not impossible that, you know, it's fun to have like a hot take and be like, Oh, the, you know, the heading in the NIV, you know, in the ESV here says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's the most famous line in it. And so it's, it's fun to be like, well, that's not the main theme. (laughs) But it's actually completely possible that that was the famous line from the Psalm and the catchword, especially if the Psalms older than the superscription, which is likely that the famousness of that line may have even, I don't know, perhaps had a, Maybe it influenced the the correlation because of the same, the terminology. It's not impossible.
1: Okay. So do you think that like somehow then that word suggests specifically David's weird behavior and that's why it had to be Abimelech? Because I was just thinking like, David was in a lot more difficult situations than this one. Like why single that one out? But if tasting somehow correlates to like the expression for altering behavior, then that, that is a pretty unique Davidic episode. Maybe that would explain the otherwise strange connection.
0: Yeah. Cause it says it altered his good sense, his sense. So it's this senses, oh, right? right? So that's like, if you translate it in the transcription as, because yeah, you're right. Behavior is ESV. So alter translates it altered his good sense. So that the connection is a little clearer, you know, right. like sensing right. a sensation. Even English has that double meaning, sense in the sense of our physical senses and also sense in the meaning of, or I just about said it, in the sense of, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Thought or, or, uh, perception, you know, in a kind of more mental sense. Yeah.
1: Well, and we also use taste metaphorically in English to say someone has good taste or bad taste or poor taste. Bingo. So, and that's not so far off from appropriate It's about judgment. Either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think we nailed that one.
0: I think it's very possible, especially, okay. I'm not, and you and I own this every time we've been on that. We cut our teeth a little, a little more strongly in new Testament scholarship, <laughs> And we've owned that. And just that's the way it is. Um, So I bring what I know from that. So I know a lot of what I know about things in the Old Testament come from studying like the way the rabbis around the time of the New Testament mm-hmm. interpreted scripture, you know, because it's just kind of part of what we do in New Testament scholarship is kind of understand, you know, how other people were reading the Old Testament that helps to kind of illuminate the strange ways the New Testament reads the Old Testament and it's actually pretty straightforward it's mainstream ways of reading the Bible the specific claims are unique to claims about Jesus but the the style of reading and and a really common theme in rabbinic literature and again i don't know how late these subscriptions are but they're late enough that this isn't completely irrelevant data rabbis really love these little catchword things where like one word from one passage ooh the same word is used over here uh-huh. I like that too. I love it. Yeah. And it's like not considered like, it's the very thing you like it, you know, told you're not supposed to do when you take like a exegesis class.
1: Oh, I don't think that's right. I think the the literature is so sophisticated and carefully thought out. I think most of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, there's probably some exceptions, but I think most of the time that matters a lot. And just as an example, out of the blue, um, a while back in my church's Bible study, we were going, we're going through the gospel of John. And there's this part where Jesus says, um, night is coming when no one can work. And they were like, what is, why, why is night there? And I just happened to know from studying John before that much later in the, um, last or not supper, cause there's no supper in John, but the last night together scene when Judas goes out the sentence after it. And it was night. And so I just said, look at these two things, you know, if you, if you find, you know, rare and significant words showing up in the same book, you should see at least if there's some kind of connection to them. And I think this is exactly what Jesus was saying is like, we have this a set amount of time, but when night comes, no one can work and implicitly even himself, because he moves from action to passion at that point. So yeah, I think the rabbis Bingo. are right. And,
0: and, the, and the book of John, Christ's death is the work of the father, not his work. He's done. He's completed his work. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that spots right on. And then very next line, after it was night, Jesus speaks and says, now the son of man is glorified. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's an extremely significant moment. That's the hour, right? The hours come. So I think that's spot on. And it's, yeah, that's exactly how they, and like you say, it is actually very sophisticated. I wonder if when some people will say, be careful with just kind of proof texting or just grabbing one word here, one word there, two things are going on for modern folk, if you're biblically illiterate, that's not a substitute for actually learning the scriptures, right? So if you actually have them in context, and then you notice deeper connections, right? But if it's a way to kind of short circuit and connect two things without anything in between. Yeah. And the other is that we're reading it in a translation, right? Whereas the rabbis are actually like (laughs) reading it in Hebrew and discussing it, you know, in Aramaic in a later form of Hebrew. So I don't know. I, I think I'm comfortable saying that, That's at least a a possible explanation for the connection and to see that as an opportunity to kind of explore possible resonances between the story and the psalm, even if they're not obvious on the surface. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore it some more. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Sarah Hinlicky Wilson, and we are looking at psalm. 34. So, uh, Sarah, who I first encountered my very first encounter with Sarah when we were in seminary was, uh, at a, like a talent show where her and a friend did, a did like silly poems. So she's, she's always been a, um, a fun, uh, poet to me. Uh, so I was surprised actually, when she said she wasn't a fan of the songs, like, Oh, but you're like a poetry person. So anyway, she, uh, since Psalm 34 is in an acrostic, one of the challenges in, in, in translation is do you try to represent that acrostic in English? And she went ahead and took a, took a stab at that. So she's going to read that for us and uh, we'll use that as our jumping off point during this segment so did i set that up right or did no I- that
1: was beautiful but i should say <laughs>
0: slipped in the story but <laughs>
1: yeah, no i didn't realize that was the first time you came up. oh yeah that that makes a lot of sense i should say in all fairness like ogden nash is my like ideal poets so that's not exactly the level at which the psalms <laughs> operates but okay so this is psalm 34 it's only 22 verses for 22 letters of the hebrew alphabet so people who pay really close attention can figure out which english letters i omitted okay here goes At all times I will bless the Lord, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Boastful is my soul in the Lord, let the humble hear and be glad. Come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Delivering me from all my fears, the Lord answered me when I sought him. Ecstatic are those who look to him, and their faces shall never be ashamed. For this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. God sends his angel to encamp around those who fear him and deliver them. Hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I say, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him suffer no lack. Jackals suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Kinder, come closer. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Life it is that you desire, and many days so that you may see good. Manage your tongue, free from evil, and let your lips speak no deceit. No to evil, yes to good. Seek peace and pursue it. Open are the eyes of the Lord toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. People who do evil find the Lord's face turned away from them. They are forgotten. Righteous ones cry out. The Lord hears and delivers them from their troubles. Saving the crushed in spirit, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord delivers from all of them. Unbroken are their bones. The Lord keeps them all. Wicked folk are slain by affliction. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. You servants of God, the Lord redeems your life. None who take refuge in him will be condemned.
0: That was fantastic, (laughs) especially... Hey, to see <laughs> that the Lord is good.
1: <laughs> I think he captures the spirit, actually.
0: It, no, it it totally does. Yeah, because there is that little particle there that I think uh, ESV goes with the O. Yeah. You know. So what's the difference between O and Hey? I yes. mean, it's just you I think
1: Hey's a little more urgent in English. You know.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's it's better. O sounds like religious and old-fashioned. So <laughs> and these were human words. More than they were religious words in their right. you know, starting point and in the way they need to be. Yeah, so you dropped out if I if I got it right, <laughs> so we'll see if our listeners wrote it down, but I got you skipped Q, V and Z. Is that right? And X. Did I miss another one? And X. And what? X. And X, of course. Dr. Yeah. yeah.
1: I always love it in children's books that are based on the alphabet, like how creative they have to get, because like the end of the English alphabet kind of peters out in importance to some degree. And it was like yeah. WXYZ, you know, it's like, oh, all right. You know, it's always xylophone.
0: There is something strange here. So where is it? So it goes, aliphate, gemel, dalet, hey. So there is, there, it's actually, so this is a way of like, After the fact, justifying your decision. So (laughs) there is one letter missing in the acrostic. Oh. So even though it's 22 verses, (laughs) it's just great. So Vav is missing. Okay. Which is, you know, barely a letter, of course. Right. And actually, you know, know, in in Psalm 119, when they get to Vav – Uh, which would be the sixth section in Psalm 119, the Vav, that letter is just and.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like at the beginning of every sentence in Hebrew.
0: Yeah. So it almost, it's almost a cheat to use it. And in Psalm 119, they they do, they just go Vav, 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 and just do and, 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 and. I'm serious. (laughs) It's, it's so cheesy. Um, So, and honestly, Psalm 119 is a little cheesy, but, It's fun. It's great. But it it does just does the and eight times. (laughs) Um, So it doesn't even try to find like words, but there are barely any, you know, there are very few Hebrew words that start with the Vob because that would be confusing.
1: Right. Sure. Sure.
0: Because it just means and, you know, it'd be like, you know, uh, Andy, Andrew, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't think of a ton of English words that start with and, you know, it would create. Actually, that's why uh, my husband and I always
1: call ourselves other people, Andrew and Sarah instead of Andrew. Because it isn't
0: a kind of gender privileging sort of message
1: entirely because of the confusion of having and, and twice in a row
0: <laughs> Sarah and and Andrews. Okay. So you just made the point, right? Yeah, yes. So, so there's no Vav, but there's still 22, which is weird. And it's because the last line just starts with, with a word that starts with pay. Oh, okay. Ha-da. Like, so it just, it just breaks the pattern. Right. And here's the weird thing. Now, Sorry.
1: No, you I love said this. You you
0: had a question. This is great. So the psalm ends, and so does the acrostic psalm in 25. Ends with a wrap-up verse.
1: Oh, I know why. this it begins is,
0: with pada. I
1: know why. Yeah. I know why. Go ahead. Tell us. I found this out from uh, the one of the commentaries I looked at, that verse 1 starts with Aleph, and verse 11 starts with Lamed. Is that the L in Hebrew? And then... The last verse starts with pay and so A L P Aleph. It actually is in order to create the the word Aleph out of verses one eleven and twenty-two. That's why. So maybe with the other psalm, Whoa. it's the same thing. I know. So it's like it's more than one word play. It's not just the acrostic. It's also that.
0: That is fascinating. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of debated theories. I mean, part of it in twenty five is the last line comes out of nowhere and it looks like a it's potentially a kind of Possibly an addition. Oh. Um, but here it actually fits right in. So it doesn't feel added. Although it's the same. I mean, it's the same. I think it's the exact same verb even in 25. I'm going to check it now. Oh. So like, here's the last line of 34. They're both acrostics. Both end with a non-tau. Okay. The Lord ransoms his servants' lives. They will bear no guilt, all who shelter in him. Here's the last line of 25. Redeem God, Israel, from all its straits. So it's redeem, ransom. Those are It's the same word. So how many verses about. does
1: Psalm 25 have?
0: It also has 20, well, depending on how you sequence them. But it also is missing Vav. Oh,
1: so. so it does
0: the same thing. So in Hebrew, yeah.
1: does verse 1 and verse 11, do they start with Aleph and Lamed respectively? Maybe it's another Aleph trick.
0: Well, it's a mess because in 25, yeah, in 25 it works because the, su- the superscription is so short. Mm that verse one is for, you know, cause the superscriptions actually are part of the versification in the Hebrew Bible. Oh, okay. Okay. So the verse numbers don't line up with our usual standard English. Sorry. This is such a mess. I, I hope we didn't just lose all of our listeners.
1: I love this stuff. I think I like the word. <laughs> I know
0: I do too, but, but the problem with that theory, the one twelve theory mm-hmm. is in the, in the Masoretic text, the versification, Aleph is verse 2. Mm. And Lamed is verse 12. And the last one, the Pei, would be verse 23. So it doesn't ring nearly as true w- with 1, 11, 22, you know. But the versification's later. So, yeah, that's not a...
1: Well, and the whole thing about numerology is you can make it do whatever you want.
0: Exactly. And actually... I say all that, and I now I want to take it back and say <laughs> it would be it would be 1, 11, and 22, first, middle, last. Mm. And insofar as there were no separate number system in Hebrew, they just used the alphabet mm. to number it. So 11 would be actually marked with an aleph and a – I can't remember how they do it, but it, it would it, it, they actually just used the alphabet for the numbering. Oh, okay. Um, so it actually it would end up working out to being – kind of the first of each set of 10. Right. Anyway, yeah. That's like right. you said, num- you can do whatever you want with numerology. <laughs> the point is, is it's strange. Yeah. Uh, and all of that was just mostly just to say, well, you cheated a little with the English alphabet and that's okay in a way that ironically fulfills the...
1: There you go. I wish I could true say this on purpose, but I didn't.
0: <laughs> true to the spirit. All right. Well, you said on the break, you had a question or topic you wanted to bring up after we the acrostic.
1: Well, no, it actually leads in perfectly and it connects to something you said right at the beginning, because like, we've just been having a great time geeking out about the poetic form here. And so, so you said you've been doing all these Psalms. It was, you started to say it was a slog, but then it got better. (laughs) And so my experience, and maybe this is reflective of my own tortured relationship to the Psalms, is that whenever I read commentaries on Psalms, I like pointing out the poetic forms. Like I love the acrostic thing and the Aleph thing, whatever. That to me is really cool. And then when I get to like the interpretation, I'm so bored. It falls very flat for me. And I think that must be something because these are actually poems. So you're supposed to experience them rather than explain them. And I know like part of doing this on a lectionary podcast is to encourage people to consider preaching, but I'm sort of torn between the desire to like go into this and explicate it and explore it. And then the feeling that a poem kind of dies when you do that. So if I read Psalm 34, when I've read both versions I read today, like they're so joyful and they've got these great lines. And I think there's a reason we respond to the line because poetry starts with the line and just the wonderful way it sounds. But then like when I've read some of the commentaries and I was just like, oh yes, okay. The Lord is faithful and you know, but you know, like I can get the point, but somehow that doesn't speak to me the way it does with other kinds of biblical texts that are making the same point. But I mean, in poetry, poetry itself is the point to a certain degree. So anyway, I was just curious what you thought of that. And if that reflects your experience going through all these Psalms over the course of the year.
0: I mean, yes, (laughs) it's like a spot on. So whenever we're in the form, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. When we get to the content, it feels like, man, I'm, I, I hope I'm not insulting any of my wonderful guests. It feels like we're making the same point every week. <laughs> <laughs> or should I say, maybe three different points? Uh, you know, like if it's, if it's, a, there are different genres. So if we're in a lament, there are certain themes that are going to come out,
1: hmm.
0: but it's going to be really similar from psalm to psalm. Right. But the irony of that is the difference between, you know, Psalm 88 and a lesser lament is pretty stark, right? Like, the, yeah. but the difference is poetic, not prosaic. The meaning's pretty much the same. Yeah. It's the poetic difference that makes all the difference. Yeah, And the same goes for the hymns of praise. Like, especially when we've been in the the, the second Hillel, the, the last, you know, five, six, seven of the Psalms, mm-hmm. like those are really powerful Psalms to sing and to experience, but like, To exposit, it's pretty straightforward. God's awesome. (laughs) Yay. You know, like this is not a lot to say. Right. So the Thanksgiving Psalms are the ones where it gets the most interesting and variation because there's more of a narrative. There's more of a, whether there's a superscription or not, those have been the conversations where I felt like it that week stood out and wasn't just a repeat of themes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because there'd be a kind of, okay, there's a movement here where the psalmist was experiencing X and then experienced y and then z you know there, right. you can feel a narrative. the narrative right so if you can find the narrative then that gives it some some flow but even that is in a in a way stepping away from the poetry in some sense yeah. although poetry and narrative are not mutually exclusive and and ancient narratives in a lot of cultures start out as in poem form right 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 you think of epics you know in in a lot of so yeah so i don't know if that's helpful in responding to your question but you no know, i have felt that a little bit that And it has like been a constant refrain for me is like, I want to pray the Psalms. I want to live the Psalms. I want these to be, you know, a hermeneutic through which I interpret my experience. Mm -hmm. So I want the Psalms to help me explain my life, Mm -hmm. but like actually expositing and I'm an expository preacher. And so like, I really don't like preaching the Psalms because like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I kill it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like when I walk through a passage in Paul or something, I feel like I'm actually helping it come alive for people. It's already alive for me. I don't think I'm making it alive, but my hearers might experience like, oh, like light bulb because you're kind of helping them see the steps in an argument or something like that. And in a different way with narrative, again, you can kill a narrative by just turning it into an argument, Right. but there is a movement in a narrative. So if you can kind of help people see see what they're missing, you know, Mm. help them see between the lines or see it a little more in 3d and a little less flat. Mm. Whereas the poem, it's, it's not flat when you come to it and you only make it flatter by talking about it. So I'm, I'm in deep agreement with, with the struggles and, and the commentaries in particular. That's why I've actually been one of the main reasons I've been using Robert Alter's translation is it's not just a translation. He also has commentary, but it's just footnotes. So it's just little comments about each verse Ah. And not even every verse, just interesting little observations like that one about the connection between the the superscription and the, the verb for taste you know, that's not explaining the whole Psalm. That's just like one little observation.
1: Well, I mean, so. I think, I mean, one thing that has made the Bible wonderful to me is it's variety of genres. And so, you know, I, you and I are both intensely verbal and perhaps verbose people, but um, maybe one great thing about these poems is that they defeat us and our verbosity and explaininess. And like, they are there for people who's like, who relate better in just like the experience of the words rather than like having to extract or abstract some sort of, you know, lesson or message. Cause I think that is the point of poetry is it itself is the thing. It's not like a placeholder for something else. It's the real thing. And so just maybe to have them in worship and not to have to, I mean, like I've rarely preached on Psalms in my current congregation, but we always have it. And I think I've just decided like, it does what it does and it isn't necessarily improved by my telling you, this is what this psalm is supposed to be doing to you, you know, just let it do its thing, you know, in the Holy spirits, when it, when it, when it pleases the Holy spirit.
0: Yeah. Well, my primary use of the Psalms is in the daily office and with silence afterwards. Mm -hmm. And in, in Benedictine tradition, usually it's, it's one line that I'll pick. And if I'm with others or even when I'm alone, just repeating that one line again after we've concluded the psalm and then having a moment of silence, just kind of chewing on that.
1: So that makes it okay that we've basically only talked about one line out of this entire psalm our whole time. Because all my sermon starters are going to be entirely on that one verse too.
0: <laughs> well, uh, if you have to have words to make something okay, Sarah, then uh, <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> what was it? Defeated our verbosity. Yeah, That's there you go. Spot on. <laughs> and notice how we kind of like misdirected and talked about other things because what do you do with it? I love it. It's perfect. Well, let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters. All
1: right.
0: And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Here with my guest, Sarah Henlicky wilson Out of respect for the point she just made, we should probably hear the the actual psalm one more time, if that's okay. So I'll do it from Robert Alter's version here that's pretty good, and then uh, explore a few sermon starters in our final segment. So for David, when he altered his good sense before Abimelech, who banished him, and he went away. Let me bless the Lord at all times, always his praise in my mouth. In the Lord do I glory, let the lowly hear and rejoice. Extol the Lord with me, let us all exalt his name one and all. I sought the Lord and he answered me, and from all that I dreaded he saved me. They looked to him and they beamed, and their faces were no longer dark. When the lowly calls, God listens and from all his straits rescues him. The Lord's messenger encamps round those who fear him and sets them free. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy the man who shelters in him. Fear the Lord, O his holy ones. For those who fear him know no want. Lions are wretched and hunger, but the Lord's seekers lack no good. Come, sons, listen to me. The Lord's fear will I teach you. Whoever the man desiring life, who loves long days to see good, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Swerve from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The Lord's eyes are on the righteous and his ears to their outcry. The Lord's face is against all evildoers to cut off from earth their name. Cry out, and the Lord hears, and from all their straits he saves them. Near is the Lord to the brokenhearted, and the crushed in spirit he rescues. Many the evils of the righteous man, yet from all of them the Lord will save him. He guards all his bones, not a single one is broken. Evil will kill the wicked, and the righteous man's foes will bear guilt. The Lord's ransoms his servants' lives. They will bear no guilt, all who shelter in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's explore some sermon starters. Where do we want to go with this?
1: Well, all I got is for verse (laughs) 8. But I think you can do a lot of cool stuff with verse 8. And as you pointed out, that is the most famous verse of this psalm. Though overall, it's just such a happy psalm. Like, it's not unrealistically happy. You know, by the second half, there's acknowledgement that the righteous suffer. But overall, it's just like such an uplift. It just made me feel happier reading it, which I think is the purpose of this kind of psalm.
0: Yeah, and the suffering is kind of a jumping off point it's it's a counterpoint to the salvation right, right it's yeah. not it's not a lament where he's stuck in it yeah. it's like yeah this is here's all the things that god defeats yeah so so
1: here's what i got on On taste, And I would say for preachers out there, even if you haven't gotten COVID and lost your taste, like I have for how long, oh Lord, how long? Almost certainly there will be people in your congregation who have lost their taste to COVID or who are going to, or, you know, experienced it briefly or longly. And, you know, so there it's, it's going to have a visceral quality. And I think everybody knows that is a side effect of suffering COVID. So, you know, it has that, you know, immediacy that sometimes preachers like to bring to it. So, as I was reflecting on this, I came up with um, a couple reasons why I think that this is is such a powerful verse and why, you know, it was selected besides its um, acrostic handiness. So, one is that all other senses can take place at a distance, like smell, vision, and hearing, definitely. You can do all of those from very far away. Touch obviously you have to get closer, but I was imagining like, but you could touch by like putting out your finger and like at arm's length. Here I'm, I'm doing this on the video. Obviously, people listening can't can't hear. They just wondered why my. But they can
0: hear that it got echoey and kind of reverby for a second. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, and you can like be turned. Your whole body can be turned, and you can be on your toes, ready to run away. So you do have to make contact to touch, but you can still do it in a very distancing kind of way. But if- and it
0: can be brief. It can be brief, but if
1: you are going to taste something like you got to get right in there, like you bring your whole head with all of your vulnerabilities and you actually stick out your tongue, which is very sensitive and vulnerable, you know, and like sort of think like, you know, putting it to a frozen flagpole is um, not a pleasant way to do it. But um, like, so to taste the Lord, it really means you have to get up close to the Lord. And of course, the, the implication is that the Lord is delicious, better than you were hoping for. But I think that's why it's so powerful is there's this kind of intimacy. It, it is an act of trust to get close enough to taste. All the other senses can allow you to reserve your judgment on God, but taste is already banking on. It's not going to be terrible. And the promise of the Psalm is like, it's not only going to not be terrible, it's going to be amazing, delicious, tasty, satisfying, savory, all those good things.
0: That's absolutely lovely. And you could, I wonder to what extent the the Psalm is even playing on that, at least in an evocative way, which is the way poetry works by so many references to other body parts and senses, mm. you know? So there's, I mean, specifically the tongue and the lips appear in verse 13 and the Lord's eyes and ears and face uh, show up in, in 15 and 16. And even the opening line, let me bless the Lord at all times, always his praise in my mouth. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very visceral Psalm in general. and Hebrew language is very, concrete and visceral Mm. anyway, but this Psalm seems to be leaning really hard into that.
1: Yeah. I love Um, that. That is a beautiful connection.
0: So, and if, if anything, that's a, at least a justification for zooming in on eight and not just in a way that's yanking it out of the Psalm, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But embedding it into the Psalm. Yeah. So in a, in a sermon context, you know, sometimes you just know that even though you're zooming in on one moment, in a text, you know that it's connected to the larger context, but you're not going into that yeah. and justifying that. So that's one extreme is you just kind of, you know it. And if someone asked you, you'd be like, oh yeah, isn't that fun how it's all connected? The other extreme is you walk people through that, mm-hmm. you know, and my favorite is to try to cut the Gordian knot and try to try to this. These are actually the parts of sermons that I actually write out. Cause I'm not a manuscript preacher anymore. I mean, I pretended to be one for a little while when we were hanging out with Presbyterians in my twenties, <laughs> Well, you know, learn the genre, learn the method and then steal from it and do your own thing. But the parts of my sermons that I actually compose are often like the offhand lines Mm. so that I make sure that I don't because I am, a, as you called out early in my verbosity, an aside can go for five minutes (laughs) in a sermon, right? So I'll sometimes actually compose out a single line that's like designed to flag a thing and then not go there. Okay, so I thought I'd just mention that oh, for our listeners good. to say that's a trick in preaching is to yeah. like plan the stuff you're not gonna go down, huh. so that you put a little line there to stop you from doing that. Yeah. You know, but if you if you have a if you have an aside tendency as I do, yeah. So I could think of a line that just says, "Of course, this whole psalm,
1: yeah.
0: is filled with the language of of the senses, but we're gonna talk about boom." That's all you have to do. Yeah. Just that little subordinate clause that acknowledges the rest of the psalm and then zooming in,
1: yeah. Oh, I really like that, and I think, but I think there is also great potential to do all all the senses and and limbs and you know parts of the head that are involved here. That's that's delightful. In uh, Luther's explanation of the the first article of the creed, he says, you know, God has created and maintains all these things, and he's really specific. He says eyes, ears, and nose, body and limbs, reason and senses. It's so delightfully specific about what it's actually like to live in a human body, and I've always found that charming. And I never liked the more modern and translations that smooth it out to, you know, my body and soul or something like that loses the fun of it. Oh,
0: totally. And it's, I mean, whenever I hear Luther summarized and conceptualized, he sounds like a kind of New Testament guy who hasn't read his Old Testament. But when you actually read Luther, you're like, oh, this guy was a professor of Old Testament, which was what his day job was. And he just like lives in it, you know, like he's, it's so visceral, so bodily,
1: yeah, there is poetry in his prose for sure, including the uh, imprecatory parts for sure.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> but we should probably set that aside. Let me tell you the other thing that I got out of meditating yeah. on taste. And this this is, again, we always joke whenever I come on here, I always have to stick in a really good Lutheran point. So you're, you know, the comment about Luther there is a good bridge, which is that you never, ever hear about losing pe- people losing their sense of taste. Like, it just doesn't happen. So, you know, like there are all these healing miracles of people, you know, who have, you know, problems with their limbs that don't work and people born blind and people without healing. And the problem with their tongue might be speech, but you never hear anything once about someone who can't taste. And so then I was thinking like, That is so interesting that there is something so universal about the ability to taste. I mean, obviously, if you put it like in an evolutionary perspective, it's like your first safety valve when you eat, you know, that babies know that, you know, ingest the sweet things like mother's milk and spit out the nasty things that are bitter because they're probably poisonous, right? But it's like this universal birthright. It is pure receptivity and um, nobody loses it under most normal circumstances it's a source of daily pleasure for everyone and even i was thinking you know the old proverb hunger is the best sauce one thing about taste is that the less food you have the more food tastes good when you actually get to it so it actually like has built in recompense for deprivation to increase the pleasure when you finally get back to it again so it's just like everything is like pure receptivity and joy and delight and givenness and you know so for you know, a good Lutheran like me, who's very obsessed with what we don't contribute and what is simply given to us graciously by God, I was like, oh, that's one of the reasons why it matters to taste that the Lord is good, because you're simply receiving what God so freely and generously offers to you, which of course makes me all the more irritated and frustrated that I can't taste anything right now, because like this is something that's not ever supposed to happen. It's only because of this, you know, dreadful disease that the birthright of the human race has been temporarily, God, I hope temporarily, Early taken away from me. But that's why I think everyone gravitates towards this verse because it just, it speaks so much to that universal delight that you do nothing to earn. It just comes to you.
0: Yeah. Such a universal experience, like you said, and, and you don't even, you know how like there's this old hat that, you know, when you lose one sense, the others are heightened, you know, And I don't know how true that is, but it's a thing people say, right? That someone, and there is some truth in that, you know, those who, for instance, if you go blind, you really do come to have, use your ears for spatial awareness in a way that we actually are all capable of, but don't genuinely consciously rely on. So, you know, there's clearly something to it, but boy, like I can't think of any sense that can be a substitute for taste. There's no, like, I mean, and like you say, taste and smell are all intertwined. You don't really lose one without the other. Yeah, um, but it's
1: weird. I can smell. Together. I can't. Taste.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah,
1: I can smell. It came back within a few days. So I was like, oh, great. My smell's back. My taste will follow. Oh, yeah, and that's you did really, say that. And that's so weird because I was always told too, like, if you can't taste something, it's because you can't smell. But I can definitely smell. What I can't do is taste.
0: So do you find yourself, and I'm just asking because it's a test on that that old claim, right? Do you find yourself relying on smell a lot more like in your cooking and in your just pleasure with eating? Is it like become more important to you? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I mean, it's all I've got. Like I discovered (laughs) that if I like clear my throat in a certain way, it sends the chocolate fumes up the back of my nose and I can, it feels like tasting because of where it is in my head, but I know it's actually smelling. I know it sounds so bizarre, (laughs) I love
0: it. It's so viscerally connected to the song.
1: Yeah. And you know, the whole, the sight sound, I mean, that, that one loss of one sense sharpens the other. I mean, that really is only vision and hearing. It doesn't apply to the others so much, maybe touch if you're blind. But I think other than that, it's really those, those three, like together, the taste and smell seem to be operating on a different level.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. But uh, precisely because back to your original point, which I think is the big point to come back to. Uh, both seeing and hearing, which are so essential for perception of space and of others and of distant objects. That's the key though, is why we rely on, on our eyes and ears is because they are the two best ways to be in contact with that, which is further away. Right. right. But that's precisely what taste just doesn't do. It's all about right up in there. It's about something intimate, And so I think the intimacy and vulnerability with God from our end and just the sheer grace, the sola gratia of God from God's end, you know, and then what's the posture and the posture is, is an attitude of pleasure. Mm, Yeah. yeah. You know, not a, like a beating myself up that I need so much grace, though that has its place, I suppose, but not in this psalm. It doesn't. Nor is it uh let me work real hard to make sure I don't contribute any works. It's not that it's just <laughs> no. pleasure, right? It's just,
1: it's so uncomplicated in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Childlike.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the, the awareness in our culture and in a worldwide uh, civilization, I should even say an awareness of the sense of taste and taking it for granted is, is a shared experience, even for those who haven't, gone through it themselves that they, they've heard they know somebody who's been touched by this yeah, yeah and in your case when you preach this song you're literally going to be able to speak from the heart of your own experience and not just, ref, just reference <laughs> yeah oh man well i'm sorry you've had to bear that but yeah. thank you for suffering this that the works of god may be glorified in you two verses before the one you referenced from john 9, i mean what so else do you. i have right <laughs> yeah oh wow <laughs>
1: Well, this was really fun and I'm really glad that you were, you were up for talking about it because, you know, if you you do suffer, I mean, as suffering goes, it could be a lot worse, right? But, you know, when you do suffer something and it unlocks something from scripture for you, like there is a kind of like evangelistic urgency to share it and be like, look, I figured something out and I only could have through the, through hard human experience. So, you know, making good out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a beautiful sermon and even just devotional thought for all our listeners in this very moment, just to hear the invitation from the Psalm, you know, to not just remain at a distance, but to get up close and, and taste the Lord and his goodness. This is just a beautiful, beautiful thought. So thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through that. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah. So uh, with that said, I guess we'll say thanks to Sarah. Appreciated the time you gave was so great. And, Thanks to all our listeners for chiming in, and especially uh, those of you who support the show. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find ways you can support the show. And uh, you can go to what? Is it Wilson.com, Is that the name of it? If you want to, if you haven't subscribed to Theology and Recipe, make sure to do so right now. And uh, thanks to uh, uh, Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. With all that said, say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.